Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose Podcast. We're on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, wherever you get your podcasts. We're hosted online by justthenews.com. That's justthenews.com. John Solomon's great site, Gary. It's uh, It's been an eventful uh, couple of days. We now have uh, President Biden, I think, deluding himself into thinking that he's got a twofer here on this border deal, which, of course, is no border deal at all. They wanted border blame, and now he's able to shift blame for a border crisis he created. It's the it's the old parable of the fireman who becomes an arsonist, or the arsonist who then becomes a fireman. The arsonist starts the fire, then wants to take credit for putting the fire out, either Democrats, this was this was their thinking, and I hope that I am wrong, and all of our favorite conservative broadcasters are right. This is a huge, huge victory. Either Democrats get a border deal that would let them keep the border wide open with Republican complicity, or they get to blame Republicans for the border crisis. And guess who? The New York Times' favorite senator now is. Guess who their new favorite senator is, the New York Times? Yeah, it's a wonderful photo of Lankford and his lovely wife and and children uh, with with a caption that, that, uh, you know, in an admiring way uh, refers to his Baptist faith. Now, I know the senator, and I know he really loves America, even though he and I disagree on this compromise. And obviously he's a strong Christian. So under other circumstances, the New York times would be writing articles about him being a Christian nationalist, (laughs) but since he pushed open borders or some version of it in this bill, he is exactly the kind of Christian that the New York times loves. It's just really amazing. It's, it's absolutely, it's just, it's the whole thing is beyond belief. You've got, um, this appellate court, and by the way, it wasn't an appellate court. People mistake that. It was a a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit, the new Ninth Circuit for America, the far-left circuit that Barack Obama and Harry Reid stacked. And I don't think it's a coincidence that every immigration-related issue connected to this border bill would require adjudication in the D.C. Circuit. Not in Louisiana, not in Texas, not in Arizona, not in New Mexico. This three-judge panel that ruled on the Trump immunity matter, um, if this ruling stands, Gary, and there's no reason to think that it won't, because it, if it goes to the full D.C. Uh, circuit court, which is highly left-wing, um, uh, and then the Supreme Court, if the ruling stands, it'll forever alter the nature of 
the power of the presidency because every future president will have to question every single act he takes. He's going to have to have a criminal defense attorney with him at all times to ensure that every act he takes is not then subject to post-presidential prosecution. And, you know, for our good friend Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin, the the, uh, former China hawk, because I don't know how you can be a China hawk now, with his Mayorkas vote, the business about Pandora's box being opened Pandora's box is open, and it was Joe Biden that opened it. They're already doing it. That This president is already persecuting and prosecuting his, his predecessor using the judicial system. Yeah, well, I, I guess I would, dis, I would disagree a little <clears throat> bit in, in this sense that uh, consistency is – the hobgoblin of small minds, right? Um, who said that? Uh, oh, that was that, me. No, who no, said that was that, that was Oscar Wilde, I believe. Ah, okay. So they obviously they don't want to limit presidential power uh, when when it's their president. This is all about this election cycle. That's what this is about. They'll clean up the mess later. They feel just like they did with Hillary Clinton. Uh, when she ran against Trump, that all they needed was one more presidential win uh, and they had the country forever. They lost it with Hillary. And and if Donald Trump did nothing else, the Supreme Court three appointments uh, has saved us from the greater damage that Joe Biden would have been able to do in, in this four years. But now they feel if they could just get one more term, uh, they'll probably be able to replace one of the conservatives or they might have enough votes in the House and Senate to expand the numbers on the court. Uh, they, they will then change. They'll change everything. And I mean, the deck is already stacked, but they will stack it even more. So um, so I, I, I don't think they're worried that, oh, no, when we, you know, when we get the um, Governor uh, Newsom uh, is president of the United States. This is going to come back and bite us. They'll they'll just figure out a way to clean up an aisle eight. You know, it's it's this two completely different standards. We'll see it probably sometime today when uh, the report comes out um, uh, on Biden's mishandling of classified documents, and we already know that it has absolutely no criminal charges in it. At the same time that they're trying to crush Donald Trump and people are going, well, it's different, Gary. Yeah, it is different. The documents Trump had, he had the constitutional ability to declassify the classified documents that Biden had, he had before he was president and they were sitting around next to his, car in the garage in which Hunter Biden and who, you know, Lord knows who else was going in and out. I mean, it's ridiculous. So the, the only reason we're even having the discussion of the possibility of future misuse is because it's no longer a possibility. It's a reality. It's already happening. It's happening now. And, and, um, I don't know how they get away with this in terms of, 
uh, this three-judge panel, and I don't know whether it was the full circuit that issued this subsequent order that if, and you're the lawyer here, if the president wants to appeal, and my hunch is that uh, the the sun will rise in the north tomorrow sooner than Donald Trump will not appeal this decision. He's got to appeal it by Monday. By Monday. And normally yeah. it's 45. You have 45 days. Is that going to hold up? How can they do that? How can they give the guy six days to respond? The Look. business about speedy trial is designed for the defendant, not the government. It's yeah. the defendant that is supposed to uh benefit from the provisions of a speedy trial. We know why they're doing it. They're doing it. They're hell-bent to leather. Is that the term? Hell-bent to leather to get a conviction, to convict Donald Trump before the election. And they'll do anything to get that done. Well, as Joe Biden says, what is it? It's a one-horse pony show? I don't know what it is. Dog-faced pony soldier or something like that? Yeah, yeah, there's all kinds. He gets a little mixed up. Uh, that's because yeah, he was look, busy. All, as he was busy talking to Francois Mitterrand. Uh, yesterday. Well, then you haven't heard the latest. So on the schedule today that the White House put out, um, Biden is meeting with Mitterrand and Chancellor Cole <laughs> to discuss some of the NATO issues that are pending. Unfortunately, they, they needed another. They, they tried to get another leader, European leader there to in the meeting, weren't able to do it. But the, the schedule shows that later today, Biden will be calling Churchill to fill him in on what they decided at the meeting earlier. So that it'll be three I, dead people. It'll be Biden, Mitterrand and Helmut Kohl. I mean, they all yeah, have well, what are they? They all have embalming fluid in common, I guess. I, I look, you know, I, uh, I I'm a I'm a complainer about the amount of time people are spending talking about his I lack agree. of mental acuity, acuity. but it's hard to ignore this, but, but every, you know, everything we say, we ought to, we ought to add with, let me just be clear that if he was tomorrow woke up and was, you know, like a 30 year old man from a mental acuity standpoint, I would still be devoting every ounce of my energy of to getting him out of the white house because his policies, regardless of his mental acuity are, Killing America. But when you have a president of the United States, a commander in chief of our armed forces, there are seven stages to dementia. This is all clinical. He's clearly in stage four, if not five. I mean, you see that between the stilted gait, the inability to hold a thought together, um, uh, forgetting names of leaders that you just met. Presidents, prime ministers, he's he's clearly in advanced stages of dementia. And you're absolutely right. Uh, it's his policies that are destroying the country, not his uh, advanced stage of mental decline. Uh, but the mental decline ain't good. No, uh, no, no, it's not. And and not to beat a dead horse where well, horses are not getting a good good time having a good time today on Bowen Rose not to beat a dead dead horse it's one of the reasons I know we have a foreign policy and we have a country we have to protect but I, I it's one of the reasons I am so reluctant to keep pounding on him to do more militarily do more militarily because I'm afraid that we could trip our way into something horrible 
we're already doing it. We're already doing it. And now we know, well, we knew long before, but now we know what President Biden thinks of, of the Israeli prime minister who calls him an effing bad guy. Um, I haven't heard him discuss Yahya Sinwar, the head of Hamas. I haven't heard him discuss any Iranian leader with such a, uh, a profane, derogatory um, uh, slam like that. And that's the kind of thing that gets you into wars. When your There's enemies... There's one other world leader that he's done this to. And, and that would Donald be Victor. Trump. Oh, of course. Right. <laughs> yes, right. I mean, the at the end of the day, Tom, the, the left generally, and I, I believe this president, you know, I don't care. That it's, oh, he's an old time Democrat. Um, the, the left in, in America is at war with America and it's at war with Israel. And we've talked about this many times. Well, why? How could that be? Well, the, the, the two countries are the pillars of Judeo-Christian civilization, which the left in America completely rejects. It, I mean, it despises it. And so the only thing that connects you, know, who, was it you that said this or was it me that said this? Now I sound like Biden. Um, if, if you wanted to find out if somebody uh, was anti-Israel or not, all you had to do is ask them whether uh, they think a man can get pregnant. And if they say yes, I'll guarantee you they want to see Israel wiped off the map. Right, right. Just like they want America completely denuded. I mean, Joe Biden inherited a relatively peaceful Middle East. He came into office, remember, promising to turn Saudi Arabia into a pariah state and reviving Iran's nuclear program, lifted sanctions, transferred $6 billion for the release of five hostages that the Iranians were holding, no longer enforces, even today, oil sanctions, which have allowed Iran's foreign currency reserves to go from basically zero the day Joe Biden took office to now nearly $100 billion. Um, You know, these Houthi rebels that we now all know all about, they started firing missiles in late October. Um, Just yesterday, I guess it was Tuesday, they fired six more missiles at commercial ships in the Red Sea. Our Aegis interceptor destroyers uh, shot one of them down. It was headed for a naval cruiser, apparently. Now, this came after our response to the killing of, uh, of um, three American uh, service people in Jordan by a, a terror group related to Iran, not the Houthis per se. But perhaps, perhaps, had we begun an intensive campaign to smack the daylights out of the Houthis the moment they started interrupting Red Sea traffic, Maybe we wouldn't be in the position today. Maybe there's no guarantee that it would have worked, but um, uh, our effort to deter doesn't seem to have done much deterring. No, you're you're right. I mean, uh, you know, everything's about degrading. We're degrading their ability, you know, et cetera. Uh, They seldom talk about what the bigger problem is, which is Iran, because they they don't they they don't want the focus to be on all the ways they've yeah. helped Iran. So they they tell the American people, well, we're degrading the Houthis' uh, capabilities, and Americans are sitting around going, 
what? Now the greatest military power in the world is having a hard time ha- handling the the Houthis. I mean, it's not I, funny. No, you're absolutely look when the enemy is afraid. Famous from that that child poet, right? Who's that? The guy that wrote those nursery rhymes, uh, Rudyard Kipling. No, 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 no. The the modern guy about you know, green cheese. Oh, and- uh, Doctor Seuss. Yeah, the Houthis were in Doctor Seuss, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> said, Houthis, said, Houthis. said Sam, I am. Here's the issue. Um, and it all gets, it's all everything from the border to crime to inflation to the collapse of global order to Putin's invasion to the attack on Israel to Iran being at the threshold of breakout status on their nuclear weapons program. When the enemy's afraid of escalating and you aren't, the enemy has a problem. But when you're afraid of escalating and the enemy isn't, then you have a problem. And what we've seen, not that we needed a refresher course to see it, this has been going on for almost 40 years now. Iran isn't afraid of escalating. The mullahs and their mouthpieces aren't constantly going on television expressing their fear of escalation promising they'll do everything in their power to avoid a broader war. No, when they go on television and they talk to their people, they're promising escalation. And you've said it a couple of times, and I'll reinforce it. Our constant uh, appeals for non-escalation are driven by domestic politics more than geopolitical relations. Explain why you think that is. I think you're right. Yeah, the the um, I, I mean, Biden needs uh, the left wing of his party, and he also needs uh, the growing Muslim population in the United States to vote overwhelmingly for him. And uh, I, I think even the the leak of what he said about Netanyahu, I think that was an intentional leak because he's trying to get that that part of the rising Democrat party, the young Democrat party uh, on uh, back in line with him because he, he knows he's in trouble. Um, So, yeah. So I, I think every other, uh, you know, they'll, they'll keep saying this every time they get ready to do something. uh, Yeah. uh, We, we do not seek war. We do not seek war. I mean, it's like they've all, you know, spent the last couple of years just reading, uh, deep books about the uh, positive books on Neville Chamberlain, you know, uh, who, who felt like what he had to assure people about every day in, in Britain was, I don't want to get in the war. Uh, of course, Hitler heard every word of it and thought to himself, well, I can take, I can take this guy's shirt, pants, tie, hat, top hat, <laughs> and, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, so I, I think there's, I think a lot of it is, is that, you know, Tom, there's something else too. um, which is a bigger issue. And so it came out yesterday that the drone got through our defenses and hit uh, that base. That's that <clears throat> then forced Biden to take some action, right? It, it, it got through because we did not have anything in place that could shoot down a low flying drone. Uh, this was front page in the Washington Post yesterday. We, so we got 300 
support people and so forth, sitting there in the middle of probably one of the toughest neighborhoods in the world. Drones are flying all over the place in Ukraine and, you know, everywhere. Um, the, our Pentagon woke up about the drone uh, threat, apparently just in the last year. And and some uh, reporters have said they can't get their act together at the Pentagon about who's in charge of the program. And we continue to build you know, $5 million drones instead of the you know, $10,000 drones that you can overwhelm defense systems with. Uh, but people read that. They, so my son or my daughter was sitting in a base around Iraq, Jordan, and they didn't have anything there for low-flying drones. Um, then we, we hear the tragic news today that another Marine helicopter on the West Coast uh, crashed a couple days ago and all five Marines were killed. Uh, And just a month or so ago, another crash out at the same base. Right. And I think 15 Marine Marines were killed. These are, this is the Osprey, which is a, you know, this, uh, I, I, if you add up all the Osprey crashes, that's the uh, <clears throat> the Osprey is um, I forget the uh, formal nomenclature, but it's a helicopter that turns into a plane. The right. engines rotate, and it's been troubled. And God knows how many people have. There have been many, many Osprey crashes. Dozens of uh, U.S. service personnel have been killed in these things. Well, it, it appears to be a, a helicopter that turns into a meteor. <laughs> Because they, as you say, they they seem to regularly crash. Different issue, but same concept. We we just went through this period, and you know, Boeing is trying to recover. But apparently, Boeing delivered an airplane to one of the airlines, and it was it was great. It was one of you know, it's a great plane, except somebody forgot to to tighten the bolts on the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the of the passenger center, and so the door flew off, and it's you know it's a a minor miracle that somebody didn't get ripped out of their seat and and uh, fly right. out the window. One of the things that just there's a general sense, Tom, that every every we're, we're being led by incompetence, right? Let, at let every me every level. Can I push back just a little bit on the air safety issue? It, air travel for those that oh, might be safe. concerned. It's the safest form of mechanized transportation. You have greater risk of death on an escalator. There has not been a death in a U.S. commercial uh, plane crash in since 2009. It's been almost 15 years since a single person has died on a commer- in a commercial airlines crash, and that's just... Yeah, but you're not counting all the people that... Almost died on aircraft carrier. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I, I, I hear you. James, I just, that's the comedian that uh, hmm. used to be on uh, King of Queens. I think it's, I think it's Kevin James. He's got a standalone uh, comedy act uh, that is on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I recommend it because it's it's PG rated by by and large, and he's a conservative Catholic. There's some very interesting jokes in there, but he does a whole shtick about uh, how risk adverse we are. And he goes, uh, 
you know, I was diagnosed the other day with uh, uh, pre-diabetes. And, and he goes, oh, my, I have diabetes. No, no, you have pre-diabetes. <laughs> so I don't have diabetes. Well, but you have pre-diabetes. <laughs> well, don't I also have pre-heart disease, you know, or pre-death? Pre-flu or, <clears throat> anyway, so we've lost a lot of people in pre that's uh, right. Airline crashes. But I brought up the example, Tom. Uh, I, I agree with you. The, the, that type of plane by uh, by Boeing uh, takes off every two seconds, 24 hours a day, seven days a week around the world. Uh, but, but but I was bringing up the You're example right. far because the perception That's people right. have is that nothing's working. That's right. That's right. I mean, and here, here's the thing vis-a-vis our Middle East posture. We have – and I think this has been demonstrated, we've got more than enough troops and more than enough facilities in the Middle East to invite repeated attacks, but not enough to deter them, right? If if anything is true, it's not that we've deterred Iran, but rather Iran has deterred us. And of course, Joe Biden inherited a very different Middle East that was on the verge of reaching what Churchill would call the broad sunlit uplands. I mean, uh, every he's the anti my everything he touches turns to crap. Uh, he's just a human wrecking ball, a global wrecking ball. Everything from energy to inflation to crime to the open border to the collapse of of uh, world order to politicizing law enforcement and the judicial system and trampling on our democracy. It's just it's endless. Yeah, and there's no doggy bag big enough to pick it up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it it. I do feel it that people think the whole thing is just crap, as you, you the word you right. use, and the and the the confidence in Washington D.C. and our leaders is is rock bottom. Uh, I do. I continue, Tom, to see signs of some sort of rebirth of of uh, patriotism of of. Um, you know, there is a huge difference, although Biden and company would like it to, to confuse it. You can despise the government you have and love your country. Of course. And I think increasingly that's what um, a lot of Americans feel like. Oh, um, they just I think they just want their country back. They see that every fear they have <clears throat> about, you know, deep state conspiracies become more true by the day. They're asking why we lost such blood and treasure in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, there are wars. Stephen Kotkin, this brilliant uh, professor, he's an expert on Russia and China, but um, he makes a point, you know, you can win wars and lose the peace, which is what Americans are are very good at. Um, we did it in Iraq, <clears throat> Afghanistan, Somalia, <clears throat> pardon me, to a, a large extent still undetermined, maybe in the Balkans. Vietnam uh, is another example, he says, where you can actually lose a war and win the peace. We lost the Vietnam War, and Vietnam is now an ally in our attempt to, um, to, to contain China. So they ask these questions, and they look around, and they, they realize that our foreign policy elites don't know what they're doing. They're living in fantasy worlds and thinking that their uh, delusional utopian ideals can be somehow branded onto the world and change the nature of man and the human condition. And 
they look at our financial elites and they see uh, the financial crisis back in 2008. They see, you know, rising inflation, all the macroeconomic uh, problems that what they, you know, that we have. We see that they look around and they remember Hillary back from 2016 calling them deplorables um, while she collects, you know, tens of millions for her phony nonprofit. Um, that's why they gambled on Trump. I think that's why the American people rolled the dice in 2016, elected Donald Trump. And now it isn't a roll of the dice because we know Donald Trump. We know what kind of president he was. We know his excesses. We know his proclivities. Uh, we also know that he presided over a prosperous economy, a closed border, and a largely peaceful world. Yeah, you, you know, Tom, I, I do worry that so much damage is being done that even if we, oh, yeah. uh, even if Donald Trump is elected, I agree. there will be no way oh, yeah. to correct it without horrible prices being paid, which, of course, the media uh, and uh, the left will, will blame on him, you know, that he's the cause of all the sacrifices that might have to be made in the years after his election. That's what Nikki was saying last night, that Trump causes such chaos. Hello, Trump is the... Sure they chaos. they cause the... They're the ones that create the chaos around Trump. It isn't yeah. Trump that creates the chaos. It's they that go around, like <clears throat> I read this morning several times uh, <clears throat> in your favorite newspapers... Trump's quote unquote promise to leave NATO. Trump never promised. That's a total lie. Trump has never promised to leave NATO. They do this all the time. He promises to be a dictator. He was, they take every, not even sentence, but every, you know, participial phrase phrase and completely conflate it into things that are flat out false. He's never said, he's never, quote unquote, promised to leave NATO. He said, like in a marriage, if one part, like the Bowers, for instance, Gary and Carol, right? Carol does all the heavy lifting. Gary just wants to know when it's going to be ready, hon. And Carol starts to complain about the nature of the relationship. That's not saying she's leaving the marriage. It's telling Gary to get his ass in gear. Have, have have you heard something, Tom? Has, has Carol been calling you? I, I, <laughs> um, yeah, well, I've been look, waiting for two weeks to people, use that analogy. These are the same people <clears throat> that will cut Trump's speech off or his press conference off. Or the other day they did it with, um, I think it was it was either Hawley or JD Vance. They they blocked him out in the middle of an answer. Be, saying, well, they're, you know, he's lying. We're not going to broadcast a lie or whatever. While they're regularly broadcasting lies about virtually. That's everything. what they do. They censor Trump. The American people can't see Trump. And Biden censors himself for completely different reasons. They don't want Trump on because he will appeal to people. And they go along with Joe Biden not wanting to get on because if he's on, he'll alienate people. What else is there to know? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So uh, let's I, I'm actually let's get back to your marriage for a second. No, no, no let's not. Carol's getting very uncomfortable. She said with the amount of time we're uh, we're spending uh, 
uh, right. on, on uh, our <clears throat> life. Uh, I apologize. Well, you should. To her, not to you. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, yeah, so back to how we started this broadcast uh, or this podcast, Tom. Uh, I actually think what happened this week was uh, was a real setback for whatever you want to call it, Washington elites, the deep state. I hope you're right. Whatever the the vote that took place on Wednesday, uh, you know, they needed sixty votes. They didn't even get a majority. The vote went down forty nine to fifty one, I believe. So um, I thought they never even called a vote, did they? Yeah, they called a vote on whether the bill can be brought to the floor for debate and ultimate passage. And that right. that move needed 60 votes and they couldn't get 50. So um, and I look, you, you expressed the concern that now they'll be able to say it's our fault. Tom, I don't think people I mean, if they, if they can convince people of that then we really are doomed well, because I, the, the the border is Donald Trump's signature issue. Everybody you knows know that. that. I Everybody know that. Our that. listeners Everybody know knows. that. But uh, and I saw Laura Ingram <clears throat> last night and she was terrific. But I started to get a little scared because she's almost giddy. She thinks it's in the bag. You know, we're going to win this thing going away. It's going to be a 50-state race. We're going to be competitive in all 50 states. And obviously, that's the right attitude. That's the right approach. Um, I'm not as optimistic. I wish I was. No, look, eight months in in uh, even just regular history, eight months is is an incredible period of time. In, in a political season, I know it's hard to believe. There, there's still like 30% of the public that doesn't have a view about Nikki Haley, for example, because they're not sure who she is. After all this publicity, a third of the country goes, ah. now what is, who is, is she? Is she the star right? of uh, some show or something? Right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> is that the woman that the comet was named after? Uh, <laughs> Nikki Haley comet. Uh, uh, so most Americans won't start paying attention until after Labor, Labor Day. And uh, I, w- I wonder if Democrats- that's going to be true this year because the race really has already started. Well, yeah, but the fact that the politicians are doing it doesn't mean the American people are listening. I see. Well, you're right. You're right. And the Democrats do great among uh, low information voters. Um, There's a lot of them out there, Gary. There's a lot of them out there. Very very true. Yeah. Uh, I recommend, by the way, uh, uh, a I think it's on social media or it might be on the Federalist website. website. Uh, Molly Hemingway testified recently before a House committee on the whole issue of election security and so forth. And, you know, you make an opening statement. She made about a five minute opening statement outlining how our elections are being warped and stolen, which is one of the most powerful, succinct statements I have ever seen. I recommend it to everybody. And when you see it, you ought to tape it or print it off or whatever and take it to your Republican state chairman in your state and your legislators and say, what are you doing about this? Because there are still a lot of states that ostensibly we have control of uh, that not enough has been done to stop some of this stuff. She had a great line. 
she compared Biden's 2020 election victory to um, the way the Soviets won the 1972 gold medal in basketball. The refs changed the rules in the middle of literally in the middle of the game. I don't know if you remember this, but I do. Yeah, that was a huge controversy. It was. Uh, and the U.S. We should have bombed them. Tom. I think we should have bombed. <laughs> Actually, to this day, the U.S. Olympic Committee has not recognized the results. We refused to accept the silver medal boycotted the uh, this was a situation. And this this is interesting because she's a big sports fan. So um, I listened to her on this the other day. Uh, it, that was one of the last true all-amateur teams. So it was a bunch of college kids playing against the Soviet nationals who were all professionals that had been playing together for a decade or longer. We were behind most of the game, came back, um, uh, won the game at the free throw line, two seconds to go, uh, Russians throw it in, out of bounds, game over. The East German judges then changed the rule, literally with two seconds. They changed a rule in the game with two seconds to go or three seconds. The Russians got the ball back, and they won. Um, well, now, in defense of the East German judges, Tom, if your choice was to irritate the U.S. Olympic Committee or spend a couple of years in, in the Siberia, <laughs> what would you do? You know, I mean... No, I mean, I remember it. I remember it. I remember how furious I was. It was uh, uh, I, I was a little boy, but I remember we had um, uh, that was just a couple of days after the, the massacre. So we were all focused on um, the massacre of the Israeli athletes. My family, I was a little boy, but I I remember watching. And that's twice now, Tom, that you're emphasizing how much younger you are than me. Well, I'm, you know, as I was applying for social security, then I remember the day. It's just like, it was, no, I mean, yeah. everybody knows that the election was rigged in 2020, long before election day, right? Those who rigged yeah. it can claim it wasn't stolen uh, on a technicality because the rules had changed. The one point that she made in this testimony that, of course, you and I had heard before, and most of our listeners, I'm sure, had heard before. Two seventy percent of all votes cast were by mail-in ballots. Seventy percent. Disgusting. That's more than two and a half times what it had been in the past. The, in 2016, it was 26 percent or something. So it goes from basically a quarter to two thirds. Here's the point. In 2016. Um, the rejection rate on mail-in ballots was about four percent. Was uh, yeah, four percent, four and a half percent, with twenty-six percent mail-in ballots. In twenty twenty, with seventy percent mail-in ballots, the the um, false rate, the verification failure, uh, whatever the term is, there. I'm now I'm sounding like Joe Biden. Uh, was zero point four percent. Yeah. So 99.6% of mail-in ballots were not challenged, and only four out of 1,000 were rejected. Yeah, it's, and, we've, and bits and pieces have come out, Tom, about how many um, we, when, when we've been able in some states to take a look at ballots still, how, how many signatures didn't actually match the signature card of, of the voter uh, you, you had states that said um, your 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 vote will still be counted 
up to one week after if it if it arrives up to one week after election day if it was postmarked on election day well then all you got to do is fake uh, an envelope's postmark date, which is the simplest thing in the world, right? There, it, it's funny. It's like the non-falsifiable hypothesis. They're making sure that it's impossible to prove fraud because they're legalizing all the steps that are that we now regard as being fraudulent. No voter ID, no signature verification, universal mail-in ballots, unsupervised drop boxes. Um, now they're pre in some states they're pre-registering voters from the age of sixteen. When you get your a kid gets his driver's license at age sixteen, he's pre-registered, so they've already lined him up. There's there's. Uh, all the vote harvesting, all the early voting, the late voting, election day, you can vote days after election day. Um, so, of course, they're claiming there's no fraud because they've eliminated all elements of they've legalized all elements of fraud. Yeah, I, I know if we talked about this earlier in the week, but the Turning Point USA, which is run by uh, Charlie. Uh, yeah, Charlie Kirk. Uh you know, has done this this study, um, and they've identified 4.5 million low propensity voters who are conservative oriented uh, in uh, a handful of uh, swing states, and if even 10 percent of them uh, can be brought out to vote, uh, Joe Biden's toast. So, yeah, which sounds like the kind of study you would expect to see out of the Republican National Committee, <laughs> not a private organization run by a, a good guy. Uh, so it, it, it's all there, Tom. I mean, it's it's all there. And, and look, your your larger point here about they're legalizing all the things that help us if lose elections, fact, right. help us decide whether if, if the left was, you know, was really interested in, in regaining the confidence of the American people about the integrity of our elections. They would be sitting down with us and saying, okay, let's work together on this because it's bad for this country. If each side thinks when they lose that it wasn't a fair election. So we'll go along with having to show a voter ID. Uh, could you maybe expand what a legitimate ID is a little bit? You know, for some of our, you know, whatever, but find a common ground and then join and then hold a joint press conference saying, look at all the things we've done to ensure America that whatever happens on Election Day, you can be sure that it was all done fairly. Voter ID, Gary, is an 80 percent issue. The overwhelming majority of blacks favor voting ID. The overwhelming majority of Hispanics favor voting ID. They're unable to identify a single human being that was prevented, a citizen that was prevented the right to vote. They'll provide you with an ID. They'll pay for your taxi to and from to get an ID. It's just we... We, you know, I, I've told you this story before, Tom. I mean, cheating in elections has been going on in America for a long time. And now it's on steroids because of high tech and what you can do online. And, and, and so much more is at stake now than it used to be. But when I, when I was growing up in Newport, Kentucky, this city was controlled by an organized crime syndicate. 
uh, out of, I believe it was Toledo or Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, literally a mafia organization. And they not only controlled uh, the city council and the mayor, they controlled the police department in Newport, Kentucky. So as a kid, I volunteered for a group of people that wanted to clean up the city. And one of the things we did was we were going through the voter rolls that, to figure out where they were getting illegal voters. And uh, we see an, uh, an address and there were 75 people registered from this address. And like that didn't seem to make a lot of sense. So we drove down to that address. The address was the address of, of what a house would have had if it, there was a house there. It was the parking lot for the police department. So these police worked, were lived outside of Newport, came to work inside Newport. And when they went to vote, they gave the address of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And they were voting full time for crime. Because they were all on the payroll <laughs> of the crime syndicate. Is that right? Now, now, one last point on this, which I find interesting. Uh, uh, when uh, John F. Kennedy won and Bobby Kennedy uh, was attorney general, uh, he uh, nationalized the Kentucky National Guard and sent it into New York, into Newport, to take over the administration of the law there until they could get the corruption out of the police force. I mean, there were open casinos. There were, you had a time when the only place you could gamble in America was Las Vegas. Right. Um, and we had this guy that was mayor, you know, Kentucky, right? I mean, it's, you know, Kentucky. You know, all the, stuff. the The mayor's name was Johnny TV Peluso. <laughs> and his middle name was TV because he ran a TV store. And he ruled with an iron fist as mayor. Peluso, I don't want to make any ethnic, uh, you know, judgments or whatever, but we we had a city council that sounded like it came right out of New Jersey. (laughs) No, I mean, that's, you know, the corruption has now migrated from private sector, entrepreneurial, capitalistic mafioso to the government. Right. I mean, remember, the monopoly party in this country is it's already the Democrat Party. The state is an adjunct of the Democrat party. They control this vast gargantuan administrative state. Uh, They issue all the regulations. They dictate um, uh, all the fines and penalties that not so coincidentally all manage to serve their interests and their ideology and work against us. So whether they win an election or whether they lose an election, they can fall back on, the, the monstrous power of the federal government, the judicial system, law enforcement, they're always the party in power. The government of the United States, whether it's a Republican president or not, is now like a permanent accessory of the Democrat Party. And when Donald Trump wins, I believe he will, I hope he will, I pray he does, he's going to have his hands full because they're going to... Uh, talk about insurrection. The real insurrection, the true insurrection, lasted from January 2017 to January 2021. And that was the deep state revolting against Donald Trump, refusing to implement orders, sabotaging, railroading, undermining everything the man attempted to do, everything he said, twisting his words, 
Uh, I don't think that's going to get any better. Republicans inside the administration, hundred percent, cooperated. Of course, right? A hundred percent. I was there. Absolutely, I was one of them. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Oh my gosh, you're dead. You're a (laughs) dead man. I'm dead already. Wait till that gets out. Holy cow! No, it's it's. No, but there are some people. I mean, I'm not going to start naming names. But why not? Huh? Why not? Well, it's fun. I, I, I guess we can. I mean, some, you know, uh, I'll name names. People, John Kelly. Most, right. Who, who? John Kelly. General Kelly. Yeah. Chief yeah. of Staff. An absolute who disaster. I, I admired in many ways, but he bragged about it. He Absolutely. He bragged about it. Absolutely. Uh, Defense Secretary Mattis. uh Former Defense Secretary Esper. I can go down. Nikki Haley. Although Nikki didn't really start throwing darts until she left. I'll have to give her that much. She was pretty much on side. But you go down that list. Um, John Bolton. I, I mean, literally senior positions, which cannot happen. I mean, that absolutely cannot happen again. Because they're going to have their hands full, even if all senior positions are, you know, MAGA uh, America firsters because of everybody that's that sits below them. You, you know, um, in the Reagan administration, part of the time I, w- I was in all eight years, but part of the time I was at, at the Department of Education, we had an education secretary, Terrell Bell, oh, yeah. that was not on the same page as Ronald Reagan, which is why the, the president nominated me to to go up for Senate confirmation and to, to have the number three position, which later i got the number two position to get Terrell Bell under control. And he and I would go up to testify before Congress on the president's budget. And Terrell Bell would sit there and say, uh, well, we're, we're asking for uh, $13 billion, but uh, Senate, you know, Senator in, in all honesty, $13 billion is not nearly enough. And then he would start asking for more money. And so I'm the th- third person in line right and i'm i'm leaning forward going just a second mr chairman i know the secretary here doesn't want to mislead you uh, but his personal opinions about as he i'm sure would agree his personal opinions about budget levels have nothing to do with this hearing we're here to sell the president's budget and when i would be saying this terrell bell would have a hold of my the side of my jacket, and he'd be pulling on me to try to shut me up. What did Although you we, say? The but what did you say? The number was. Hmm? What oh, did 13 you, billion now? 13, it's like a, yeah, thirteen. You know what it is now? It's like a hundred and something. It's right? ninety-one billion dollars. Right. Right. Yeah. So here's my dad. Well, well at least our that. kids are five times smarter than they were then. You know, oh, at yeah. least there's a yeah. direct at least all the money we're spending at the federal level for education has resulted in this explosion of civic responsibility, accountability, knowledge, wisdom and understanding of our founding, our principles um, and the nature of our the, the nature of our great nation. So at least we're getting something for that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so. Here's a reform. At least I think this might help somewhat. You you know what the phenomenon is, Tom. Presidents pick cabinet members. The cabinet members go into the departments, and all too often they go native. Instead of going to the department to get the bureaucracy to do what the president wants, the bureaucracy sends the cabinet secretary back to the White House to get him to do what they want. 
And and so it this this happens over and over again in Republican administrations. I recommend I, I know that it's close quarters at the White House, but I recommend that every cabinet secretary have a little cubby hole, you know, even if it's even five by five feet at the White House. And that two days a week, they got to work out of the White House to be reminded why they're in the administration at any time during those two days, the president can call, Hey, uh, secretary, so-and-so I, I got a minute, you know, come on down. I want to bring up a couple of things and, and have to deal with that for a couple of days. And then they can go back on the other days, but to remind them every week that they work for the guy in the oval office, not the GS 27. Right. It's down the hall. From- <clears throat> Let me hit you with this before we go. I think I had a dream last night. Um, I think I could name you the perfect VP pick for President Trump. Tom, I don't. I, you would embarrass me to bring up my name on the air. I don't um, want you to do that. Well, uh, I was I'm, I, I was looking for someone um, a little better looking. Um, no, I think somebody who's actuarial. Uh, I think uh, table is not so challenged. I don't know. I think Dr. Ben Carson. He's the Dr. Ben Carson. Yeah, he's the anti-Trump in terms of temperament. He's totally committed to the Trump agenda. He never loses his temper. He he bests any and everybody in a debate scenario. Um, He's the nicest man. He's genuinely, absolutely a prince of a man who's brilliant. He's a you know world famous brain surgeon for crying out loud. and he never loses his cool. And he's been vetted how many times he was our HUD secretary uh, for four years. He was a presidential candidate that did extremely well in 2016. Um, world famous uh, transplant surgeon. Um, I, I don't know. I think so, he'd be great. Uh, so, But he's, you- he's a Florida resident, isn't he? Uh, good point. I, I don't know. Um <clears throat> So would he uh, would you see him as a as a real competitor four years later if they won? I don't know, Um, because I don't know if and this is another plus for me in terms of Dr. uh, Dr. Carson. I don't know that he's not ambition in a suit. He's not Nikki Haley. You know, he's not right. um, Doesn't have that lean and hungry look as they. No, no. You know, and he's um, apparently enjoying retirement. Um, but I just he, think he'd he is be a fine man. Oh, absolutely. You, so you're not as sold on it as I am. Well, no, I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I still haven't sorted out what is most likely to, uh, bring. He can't be attacked know, a, as a phony or a fraud or an empty suit or he's brilliant people. Even his haters, his detractors have to admit that, um, the well, country would be in great hands if, if. There were eventualities that required a, 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 a change in leadership. I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, I'm hearing Tim Scott's name a lot as a possibility. So, uh, and then there's a, there are reports that he's definitely going to pick a woman. Um, I, I think Kellyanne Conway just had a piece somewhere. Uh, talking about all the different women that she thinks would be possibilities for the ticket. Um, right. Elise anyway. Stefanik would be terrific. I just don't know how well known she is. They can see the problem with one of these newcomers. So alleged newcomers is that 
the media then can create a narrative about them. And I don't think they can do that effectively with, with Ben Carson. Yeah. Because he's got a 25-year you know, a, a public profile. Anyway, we're way over. Well, we have some family connections to Dr. Carson. Is that so, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, no but, wonder uh, he doesn't mention it. Uh, so <laughs> uh, anyway, well, I think this was another incredible show, Tom. And uh, uh, I, 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 you know, I think we contributed to the defeat of the. Uh, I hope you're right. The, the bill, because we we uh, took it apart and uh, explained why we shouldn't fall for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now at least. James Lankford is the hero of the New York Times. Um, but that was a great point, that he's now a respectable Christian yeah. and a loving family man because he's for an open border. You know, who? Uh, I'm sorry, I know we're out of time, but uh, Senator Romney, Senator Murkowski, who's only a senator because Mitch uh, McConnell did not support the guy that got the Republican nomination in the primary. <laughs> and she got uh, the seat on the death of her father, let's not forget. Right. Collins and I guess Lankford. Those were the the four votes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, well, we're out of time. But yeah. um, Super Bowl pick quickly. Uh, I was going all in with Kansas City because I can't I just can't stomach uh, rooting for the San Francisco with a, with a, a coach that sounds like, you know, he ought to be heading up uh, the neo-Marxists of America <laughs> society or whatever. But then I just realized this morning that the quarterback, the San Francisco quarterback, Purdy, is a strong Christian. So is Christian uh, McCaffrey. Ah, OK. Um, um, so I, I just, you know, I'd like to see the game and not uh, Taylor Swift the whole afternoon. Yeah, but as as my son warned Tom, don't be kicking Taylor Swift because you come across as a curmudgeon, not like a with it youngster, millennial like or myself. Gen Z or whatever. Right, right. Well, we're so far over time. I'm sure nobody's listening now. Um, have a great weekend. I guess I'm for the. I don't know who I'm for. I want a good game. That's about it. The Bengals are definitely out, right? <laughs> and and the Reds will not be playing in this Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to decide whether they're going to stay in baseball this year or move on to another sport. No, they did pretty well last year, they, considering, they they considering, considering. Yeah. Anyway, got to run. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. 